It's 2021 and a new year generally brings in new goals and new targets, as many of us plan to make positive changes to our lives. This year, more than any, change, or the lack of, is a prominent subject across the country. It is indeed a new year, but how much of it currently feels new? Well, transition is a constant theme in the Olympic and Paralympic world. Transitioning from one sporting cycle to the next, from competing to retirement, from being a fresh young up-and-comer to an older and wiser athlete displaying the scars and spoils of experience. But how good are we at accepting the need to change? This is Medals and More, the podcast getting you behind the scenes of Olympic and Paralympic sport. I'm Catherine Granger and in this episode I'll be exploring the positive impact of embracing transition and the hurdles of accepting the need to change. Even though the early weeks of this year may not feel particularly different from the last, we still have new goals and new targets. Although like many of us, I may be in the same room, facing the same computer screen, I still instinctively feel the change of the calendar year brings more than just a change of date. I've made new lists, planned new ways of working, I've promised myself to be better in a variety of areas, and I set goals. Maybe I'll finally learn to play that saxophone that sits in my room looking at me with a sense of patient disappointment. I may well get to April and find that I still haven't managed to get through enough of my to-do list, but I do enjoy the renewed energy, momentum and the sense of hope that a new year inevitably brings. And any improvement is still progress. But looking into 2021, it feels a more predictably unpredictable year than usual. The fear of the unknown often puts us off, So how can we embrace change when it's needed, in sport and the wider world, and make a positive difference to our lives and those around us? In episode four of series two of Medals and More, I've got two brilliant guests who will be sharing their personal experiences of positive change and their journey through transition. I'm Donna Fraser, I'm four-time Olympian, and I currently work for UK Athletics as the Equality, Diversity and Engagement Lead. Hi, I'm Charlotte Henshaw, former Paralympic swimmer and current para-canoe world champion. I had ridiculously high standards. I was like, I need to be doing this and I need to be doing that. And I was like, six months ago I'd never sat in a kayak and now I'm expecting myself to perform so that ended up being the the tougher bit. I spent a lot of time trying to influence and make them see that Donna okay she's got the expertise she can bring more than just 400 meters in a quick time and more than that. More from Donna Fraser shortly on Medals and More. My first guest knows more about transition and change than most. As a swimmer, she made her debut at the Paralympics in Beijing in 2008. She won a silver medal in the pool at the London Paralympics in 2012 and defied her own expectations to win a bronze in Rio in 2016, a game she didn't even believe she would make the team for. And now she's switched sports and already become a world champion in para-canoe. Suddenly I was a year out of Rio and I'd never expected to be going at that point. And I was coming up to turning 30 in the January after the Games. And, you know, you will know from, you know, being involved in in elite sport, swimming is becoming a very, it's a very young sport. So at 29, I was one of the the grandmas of the team. And so I, I knew that my time was probably quite limited with what I got left to offer to swimming. But I didn't feel ready to leave the Paralympic movement behind I felt I had more to offer as an athlete so it was trying to find the right avenue 
to, to go down. And I think that's where it was amazing to be supported by UK Sport, where I'd expressed my interest in perhaps exploring other sports and the support that I got from UK Sport to do that sort of opened up all these doors which you know was was brilliant and you thought I mean had you thought about any specific sports you'd like to try or you thought it might be good at or were you generally open to anything could happen next I'd heard about the Paralympic canoeing team because they're based in Nottingham and I'm a Nottinghamshire girl so I knew that they trained in the county and they were based here so I'd heard about them and how successful they were at, at Rio so I thought well maybe I'd fit well in there because my disability seemed to be the the right kind of profile which you know Paralympic sport really really helps so I'd kind of heard of para canoe and I thought well maybe I'd like to give it a go but I didn't know if they'd want want me I kind of I was toying with the idea of emailing them afterwards and then I think it was done in a more formal way sort of through the talent transfer stuff and um yeah, that was the only one, really. I'd maybe thought about maybe paratriathlon because of the swimming side and then kind of just coming over the other to the other two. And hand cycling, I had a little dabble in that as well. But um, I just wanted a new challenge. I think I'd been so used to the pool for such a long time. I just thought it's time to try and learn something new and go back to that feeling of just wanting to improve and having no expectations on myself. And I, and I love that period of time here because... I was just kind of learning and there was for the first time in many years there was no expectation or no performance to deliver it was just fun and I loved that. So suddenly you become the the new girl at school again in a new sport yeah you know a lot to learn and like you said there's a lot of real positives of this is exciting that you know you don't have any expectations on yourself or other people have expectations of you so that's kind of very freeing that must feel quite liberating again but there must be was there some difficulties as well getting your head around a whole new sport, a whole, you know, a new people, new ethos, different culture. There's lots of different things to to sort of start. How difficult was the change? It was tough, and I think the hardest thing I found was coming from a sport where I'd been very successful and I knew the world inside out. I know how a swimming competition runs. I know how the swimming world works. Coming into a squad that I, I, I didn't really know anything about canoeing. I'd never been in a boat before. So like you said, I, I was the new girl in so many ways. But in my head, I was I was an accomplished athlete. So I struggled with that, making myself understand that it was okay to kind of make mistakes and not be expected to do everything properly. Because I'd lived by those standards for so many years. So, and I still felt like that in my head, but obviously what I was doing wasn't marrying up to that. So that was probably the toughest to sort of go back to being a, a development athlete when in my mind I, I wasn't a development athlete anymore was, was tough. But I mean, British canoeing looked after me so well and sort of guided me through that. I think they kind of expected that. And so they kind of got the provisions in place to, to support me, which was, which was lovely. The other big thing was getting used to being outside because I was in one environment, no matter what the weather was, it was hot and sweaty in the swimming pool. And that was that. Whereas I had to learn to look at what the weather was doing, which I'd never had to do in my life. <laughs> so, yeah, that was a shock to the system for sure. But also that's really interesting that, that you know, I took some time off and I think 
very, very similarly. I had my own expectations that actually were higher than everyone else's and everyone else was being very good at going, you can't expect too much yet. But in your mind, you are, you know, you're a successful athlete and you have standards that you expect yourself to meet. And it's, it's quite hard to go through that phase where you're really not going to meet them for a while until you get accomplished in that bit. Did that, did that take a while to get that confidence or did you build that confidence quite quickly it almost changed to a different kind of struggle and I I don't mean to make it sound like it was a really tough like introduction into the sport because it wasn't but after six months I, I started paddling and I think I had my first session in the December of 2016 and by the July of 2017 I'd been selected to go to the Europeans and in my head I'd I kind of expected that first year to be no competition, learning the ropes. And so by the time I got to competition, I thought I'd have had longer to learn the sport, whereas it didn't happen that way. So suddenly then the performance element was put back in, but I wasn't ready in my mind to to perform. But as soon as you put the performance in, like you say, I had ridiculously high standards. I was like, I need to be doing this and I need to be doing that. And I was like... Six months ago, I'd never sat in a kayak, and now I'm expecting myself to perform. So that ended up being the, the tougher bit b- beyond the initial stress of becoming, a, you know, learning a new skill. Once I'd learned the skill, I was then having to try and put it together into a performance that I wasn't. I mean, I was all right. I was, I did well, but I had much higher standards expected of myself. And again, I think that's where that, like I said before to try and get back to that place where I wasn't expecting things and that I could just enjoy it. And that made the rest of it so much easier. And then I I did, I, I loved just being around a new environment and taking everything in at every possible opportunity. And so remind me the date you first sat in a kayak. Uh, just before Christmas of 2016. And then by the summer of 2018, you're winning medals in Paracanoo. I won my first European medal that first competition I did in the 2017 summer and then by the following summer I was world champion so in 18 months 18 months ish it was a real surprise to me I just kind of it was all a big blur and it it surprised me it really did because you know I I thought when I came to canoeing I thought I'd give myself the best possible chance of becoming a medal contender by you know the next game so four-year cycle to hone craft and whatever and so to do it in 18 months and you know be a real contender was was a shock to be honest but lovely it was you know it was a nice one I'm not gonna say it was a horrible surprise but um yeah it was it was a a whirlwind, whirlwind for sure so everything's going beautifully smoothly and successfully and uh and then 2020 arrives <laughs> And um, I mean, let's be honest, we're talking about change and transition in people's lives. It's nothing quite like the the last year we've all enjoyed um, or endured in different levels. How has it been? Obviously, you know, we're now in 2021. We're hoping the summer will go ahead as as planned. But, uh, you know, if we've seen everything, we've seen so much immense change. How has it been, you know, living that experience? Um, well, I think like for everybody, it's been it's been tough. And in some aspects it's been nice because I think we've all had a lot of time to explore our lives or what we know of ourselves I think it gave us that real opportunity to slow down and take stock of things and I think that I probably needed that to be quite honest and so when the games were postponed 
it was it was tough I took a couple of weeks where I just sat at home and I watched Netflix and I didn't really do a great deal else because I think I I needed the time to to sort of mourn what we'd lost even though obviously there's so many other things going on in the world I think it was important to take that time for all of us to kind of understand that the goalposts had shifted and then like we all do as athletes you get stuck into the new goal and you have your meetings with your support team and you say okay well well, this is the plan now and is it a good plan yes it's a good plan what do we do to get to 2021 in the best possible position that we can let's do it and so I think once we'd had those discussions it was almost sort of full steam ahead as as best we could be by training at home and things like that um so and you know we're we were fortunate that we could carry on training you know we I was healthy and um you know I was staying safe and trying to kind of do the right thing at that point which was to stay at home and we could still train well which you know it it ticked both boxes so um we were very fortunate in that respect and how's it feeling now with with the month, months have ticked by we have moved forward there is progress there's the end in sight how is it feeling now that we've we've hit the year personally i i'm finding it just as hard if not harder at the moment because again those conversations are starting to come out about what the summer will look like will it happen won't it happen and again that bit of uncertainty is starting to creep in which i think for everybody is is a bit of a red flag but you know we're following the plan until we can't follow the plan anymore or we don't need to follow that plan anymore so for the moment we're we're training as if um you know the games are going to go ahead and it's it's okay like we're obviously we're doing everything that we possibly can to stay safe we're fortunate that we're an outdoor sport so we are able to stay a long way from each other and you know in the grand scheme of things we're we're fortunate that we do spend so much time outside so you know we're doing the best we can in obviously not a brilliant circumstance for anybody but I think the important thing for us to remember is perspective you know we're there's so many things going on in the world that are absolutely horrendous and you know people are putting their lives on the line every single day to try and get us through this and so for us to be you know lucky enough to be allowed to to do what we're doing as safely as we possibly can like we're we're very very fortunate and we have to remember that I think yeah and I think I mean I think that's a big thing everyone either publicly or personally or privately have dealt with so much and continues to deal with so much all the time um and I think I mean one of the things that you've spoken about really publicly recently is you know some some private health issues that you've had and you you've dealt with endometriosis quite recently and was that quite important that you were public about that that you could talk about that to for other people who might be experiencing similar things I only had a diagnosis of endometriosis about four weeks ago I'm four weeks post-surgery at the moment and I I struggled with it for years unbeknownst to me I didn't know what I was dealing with but it typically takes such a long time for people to get diagnosed with it and when I knew that I was going to have my exploratory surgery prior to Christmas, obviously never, nobody ever wants surgery, but I thought, God, it, why does it have to be now in games year? Why do I need it now? But obviously it was the, the, the right choice. But looking around on the internet, as everyone does, for people who have been through it or whatever it may be, it was hard to find firsthand information and especially hard to find other athletes that have been through it. And I really fortunately, one of 
our team knows somebody on the British cycling team who had obviously Eleanor Barker had spoken about her experience with endometriosis and you know the wonderful world of sport somebody put me in touch with someone and I ended up speaking to Eleanor on the phone I've never met her before obviously followed her career sort of from afar but I the fact that she was so open and willing to talk to me like the night before that I went in for my surgery helped immensely and I thought well if I can now also be one of those people that you know someone can reach out to whether it's an athlete or not but that experience of combining training with the the recovery and all of that is it was so helpful so it was important to me to to know carry that on now that I can hopefully do that for someone else and how important is it because I think we've seen you know in loads of different ways like you said you know you doing what you've done with, along with Eleanor as well making that public or you know, whether it's someone like Marcus Rashford making headlines about, you know, children's school meals and things, there's, there seems to be a lot in recent months when athletes are still training, but obviously competition have, has sort of been less than we'd normally have at this time of year. Being able to sort of take a stand in other areas that are very important to them, is it, it's obviously not for every athlete and not everyone wants to do it, but if they want to, do you think there's a good platform there for athletes to be able to speak out on some, some issues that matter to them? I think so, and I think... I think it's really important like you say it's not for everybody and not everybody wants to make their personal life public and that's absolutely fine and there there's certain things that even if you are very vocal on one thing you might not be about something else but I think if you feel it is something that you want to share and it can be helpful to people I I think it is really important and that's why I was so keen to do it and we're very lucky to have a platform however big or small but I think part of our job as an athlete usually is to kind of be these role models going to schools things like that and I love that side of what we do and I think it's really important to kind of give back in whatever way you can and whether that's your time just over an Instagram post you know someone reach out and say oh I've also had this diagnosis how did you find this or you know have you got any advice or can you point me in the right direction it it doesn't take very long to reply to that I suppose and if you're someone like Marcus Rashford I would imagine you get a lot more of those so you maybe you can't reply to them all but I think it's really important if you feel strongly about something to to support it or challenge something and um certainly for me with with the female health stuff especially at the moment it seems to be quite a big buzz topic female health and in in sport and I wanted to be able to kind of add my voice to that um in some helpful way and with that part of that giving back thing is that also you 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 sit on the British Paralympic Association Athletes Commission and was that also another way to to help support the athlete voice and to help make sure people feel represented yeah absolutely and I'm so passionate about Paralympic sport I mean it's been my life for so long and I think we've made huge strides in the right direction but I think with there's still you know there's still more we can do and there's we can keep pushing forward and I, I thought you know I think it's brilliant when athletes feel strongly about something that they want to make a positive change in the environment that they've come from and I think you know seeing people like yourself who've you've lived it and you've breathed it and you know exactly what an athlete feels at this point or this point. And I think it's so useful to have those voices, you know, making the future of elite sport better. And 
I wanted to be part of that. And when the opportunity came up to apply for the the athlete commission, I thought, what a, a brilliant way to to start being able to sort of, especially coming from a small sport, give those athletes a bit more of an input because at the end of the day, it's 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 their games, it's their career. So they want to kind of know that they've got a, at least a little part of a say into it. I think it's so important. And yeah, I, I love being part of the the athlete commission. I think it's 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 brilliant, and um, I've definitely learned a lot about <laughs> elite sport. You know, I think I just merrily went along, just doing what I did, and you know, just having a bit more of an insight is really really valuable. It's it's tough. It's tough. It is tough, but it's so br- it's brilliant. You're still in it, loving it, and also wanting to make a, a change for the better. So if we're looking forward to twenty twenty one as you know positive change for the better. What what are, what are your hopes for the rest of the year? Well, I'd love for the games to actually go ahead. That would be number one, I think. Um, if it can be done in a safe way and it's not going to put people at risk, whoever that may be. But beyond that, I kind of, before the delay, actually, I was toying with the idea of potentially carrying on to Paris or not. I, I, I wasn't sure. But now we've almost done the first year of the next cycle <laughs> well by the time I've had a holiday and by the time I've um had a break and you know take a bit of time out it's only kind of two and a half years from selection which is nothing when you've been you know involved for this long so it's made Paris actually more of a target for me realistic target than it, it was before so I'd like to stick around I feel like I've got a lot more to learn but I think still combining that with developing myself outside of sport and when I say outside of sport it probably will still be within sport but outside of being an athlete involved in other things to try and develop those as well because I think that's really important you know there's more to me campaign and things like that I think it's really important because I didn't do enough of that when I swam and I think it's been a bit of a wake-up call to me as I've got older that I shouldn't neglect that part just because I want to be a successful athlete and um so just more of that. As we've seen this last 12 months, you can never predict where you're going to be or what's going to happen. So just kind of to be open to things and open to learning, I think, is is what I would like to, to, to take forward from all of this. And do you have any do you have any thoughts of as and when this part of your life is done? Paris, L.A., who knows how long you might want to go on for by then? Uh, do you think do you think about what the future might be? Yeah, I do. And I think the longer that I've thought about it, I toyed with the idea of it not being in sport. But I I, I really enjoy it. I do some mentoring with a, a, a project called the True Athlete Project. And I, I've done a year, I mentored a, a young guy upcoming through um, wheelchair basketball. And I really enjoyed it, like having a, a, a contact with a, a young athlete who's just starting their career. And I've just signed up to do another year of, of that. And so I really enjoy that connection with the athletes. And I think I kind of see my future in something in that respect, maybe performance lifestyle, maybe even coaching. And I always said that I would never be a coach. I was like, well, I'll never be a coach. But then the longer I've done it, I I'm starting to see the appeal and um so I, maybe going down the coaching route would would be something but I 
I certainly don't want to leave sport. I think that's definitely where my future lies. Oh, I love it. Well, listen, uh, I hope you stay in sport as an athlete as long as you possibly can and as long as you want to. And then I hope you stay in sport because you have so much to make that will be brilliant to give to sport and sport will be better for having you in it. So honestly, it's been fabulous seeing you as an athlete and I know you've got an amazing future ahead, but let's get through this year first and let's hope, wish you all the very best for this year. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Charlotte Henshaw, a truly inspirational athlete and we have yet another one waiting for you next. This is Medals and More, the podcast that takes you behind the scenes of Olympic and Paralympic sport. My next guest is a multiple Olympian. In Sydney 2000, she finished fourth in the Olympic 400m final and she's also won medals at European, Commonwealth and world level. She retired from competitive athletics in 2009 and then beat breast cancer. She has been a key figure in the Let's Talk About Race campaign within athletics and was appointed an OBE in the recent New Year Honours list for services to equality, inclusion and diversity. I've known Donna since we were both part of Team GB at the Sydney Olympics. And although I do want to talk to her about her transition from sport to life afterwards, I can't help but ask her about one of the most iconic races in Olympic history, the 400 metre final in 2000, when Cathy Freeman cemented her place in history. Donna also cemented her own by finishing a fabulous fourth in that race, but also was Cathy's training partner earlier that summer. I had the great opportunity of training with her and was almost catapulted into that opportunity. My coach didn't tell me. It was after a, a race. And uh, at the time, Murray, who used to look after Freeman and a lot of the Australian athletes approached me and said, oh, I hear you're training with Freeman. But I won't say in an Australian accent because I'm rubbish. Um, and I was like, oh, OK, am I? All right. Yes, I am. So, um, yeah, it was a phenomenal experience. Uh, I, I can't knock it. Just being around her. And as you know, you, you want to be around the best, you know, when you're trying to be the best yourself. And she was just amazing. Uh, what really highlighted to me then and it hit home was, you know, these great athletes that they're just human you know they're not superhuman it's who wants to put the most work into it that's what it boils down to and and it was a great summer pressure on all of us at the big games moment but you obviously on that and that huge track and field stage Kathy Freeman you know with the expectation of the home crowd were you kind of in this leading up to it this sort of stress of oh my goodness the biggest event is coming or could you switch off from that all of you and think this is just a training group we're going to enjoy it Kathy decided to train in the UK to get away from that madness in Australia. So what we did, we were training in Windsor. It was a great track. It's really quiet. Not many people around. And we did, we spoke about everything apart from the Olympic Games. So stress was not there. And I guess that's why she took that, that step to train away from home because of that and all the pressure that she had. And we just got on with it. We trained just as we did in any other year. We spoke about everything, East End, as you name it, we spoke about. But we never spoke about the Olympic Games until we were there, which was just bizarre. And we didn't even think about it. It just came naturally. Um, and yeah, we just had built a, such a great friendship. I, I did know Kathy before when I was a junior, but to be around her 24-7 was just brilliant. I, I couldn't change it. I wouldn't change it. What, what lessons did you learn from her, if anything? How to keep your cool. I don't know how she did it. I really don't. Um, I can only imagine what was going through her mind in the year leading up to even before that, because, of course, you know, it's every four years. You just don't start thinking about it a few months beforehand. 
and just just the light-hearted person she is and just not to put the only and I believe this not to put pressure on yourself that's what it boils down to and and just enjoy it and um, there were awful days of course you know training your heart out is just you're knackered you're worn out and I just remember my first training session with her and she was just like this little dot in the distance. She was just getting smaller and smaller. I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, I am so slow. This is ridiculous. Um, And that was definitely a learning curve that I wasn't as good as I thought I was. But again, just taking each day as it comes and not looking too far ahead. And that's exactly what we did. She obviously famously won the title. You got a fabulous fourth place at the Games, which was immense went on to win medals at the Europeans world championship when you think about your career now do you sit contented with I had a great time and it was incredible or do you do you have regrets do you have thoughts would you change any of it I mean it's a huge part of all of our lives how do you think about it now sort of being a while retired Oh, definitely. I think, Catherine, there, you've covered every possible emotion. I think if we go from the minute I crossed the line, I was absolutely devastated. Couldn't believe I've come forth. I need to use that analogy, fab forth. That's what I'm going to use from now on. Um, And I was devastated and it was without a doubt a learning curve because I had to pick myself up for the relay, which was a few days later. Now, when I look back, absolutely, I'd be happy if someone said to me, Donna, you're going to run sub 50 tomorrow. I would take that in a flash without a doubt. But um, yeah, I try not to have regrets as an athlete and off the track as well. But yeah, there is one regret that I just didn't believe in myself on that Olympic final start line. I I did. I couldn't believe I was in the final. I didn't realise how fit I was. Um, and I really do put that down to training with Freeman that that summer because I pushed those boundaries that I'd never done before. And to run a personal best every single round to get to that final, I thought, OK, I've arrived at the final. OK, I was drinking a cocktail for the first 200 on a beach somewhere. I was not in the Olympic final. So if there's any regret, that is one thing I really truly wished I'd believed in myself that I I deserved to be in that final and I I could have won it I wish I had that mindset but I didn't so but you I mean you have had such an amazing career in sport and not just amazing successes but you know you are so loved and so respected because of because of your personality you're upbeat you're happy you're enthusiastic you're you help a lot of other people but all of us when we're athletes the end has to come at some point and we all have to at some point walk away and retire Did you feel the same sort of positivity and optimism you had as an athlete going into kind of life after an athlete or did you you have the doubts and fears that most of us have of, oh my goodness, what now? I've just done this on the biggest world stage. Now what? I mean, where were you on what next thinking? Yeah, I think, you know, that experience in 2000, I thought I'm not done yet um, to, you know, I was fit. I, I really should have got a medal. That's what I really believe now. Shame I didn't believe it on the day. But anyway, um, and I, I just felt I wasn't done. I wanted to get to the next Olympic Games and get a medal, not just get to the final, get a medal. So that was always my focus. But alongside my athletics career, I'd worked anyway. Um, that's because of my parents from a West Indian background. Sport is not going to pay the bills, Donna. Forget that. You need to get a job. Um, So I was doing both parallel and it was tough. It really was tough being able to juggle a job. It, it, It helped build that resilience. I had another focus. If things weren't going so great on the track, I could focus on my work and vice versa. Things weren't so great at work. I knew right, I'm going training. I can offload. So they really worked well together. 
So in terms of the what next of my transition, I guess I was one of the lucky few who was able to transition quite well once I'd retired. Um, but at the same time, realise those transferable skills that many athletes don't realise they have because it comes natural on a day to day basis, the determination, the resilience, all of those things I was able to bring into the world of work and now being in sport, which I love, is just a dream come true. I mean, we're all experiencing this strange world at the moment and we've kind of been forced into change through living through a pandemic. And, you know, a lot of people, even though if they're OK with change, it's still uncertainty is, is quite uncomfortable. From from what you experienced as an athlete, you know, the, the challenges you face as an athlete, the change you had to make coming out of being an athlete into a new world outside of it. Would you say you learned things that help now in periods of uncertainty that help with change now? Absolutely. One thing is adapting, um, especially as a 400 meter runner, you could turn up on the line and the wind is going to be in your face the first 100 meters or in the last 100 meters, it changes. So flexibility and adapting according to your environment is definitely number one. But also someone asked me the same question at the beginning of this pandemic. And I said the only way I could articulate this feeling is when I was injured where you're not able to train and do what you really want to do and you're seeing your other colleagues as it were doing something that you can't do how did I manage that and what I did was just take myself out of that environment and think about me and that's the only thing you can control is thinking about yourself and, and the environment that you're in so I will stick with that it is a lot tougher because this pandemic is going on a lot longer than we planned it to and just being flexible and just doing what you can do rather than focusing on the things you can't. You've now, I mean, you've been very successful ever since finishing being an athlete and you're currently working with UK Athletics again and um, also obviously the vice chair of the British Athletes Commission. When you were looking at the next steps in your life, in your career, how did you decide where next? How did you decide what would fit for you, what would be right for you, where, where you want the next challenge to be? First and foremost, it was I wanted to give something back to my sport. That was the ultimate. What it was, I had no idea. But for me and Catherine, we go back so many years. I'm the kind of person I have to do something I enjoy. So athletics definitely thumbs up. Sitting in a room around the board, maybe kind of thumbs up a little bit. But at the same time, if I'm making that positive impact in that environment, I'm all for it. So I think my first role was at the south of England as the president. So that catapulted me into a room of people that I've known for most of my athletics career. But now I'm not an athlete, which was great. But what I really realised is I had to really portray myself as not Donna the athlete I also had something to bring to the table and I spent a lot of time trying to influence and make them see that Donna okay she's got the expertise she can bring more than just 400 meters in a quick time and more than that so the first few years took a while for me to to engage people and say okay yes this is what I'm bringing to the table so that has just evolved and many people who know me will say oh gosh Donna's at it again she's doing this she's doing that because I really believe when opportunity knocks you've got to take it you know if you feel that you've got the time and energy to do it why not we only have one life and unfortunately 2009 I was diagnosed with breast cancer and I think I have a different outlook to to life full stop now. And that's the thing. I mean, you were you were very open and very public about it, but not everyone remember you were you know facing breast cancer towards at the end of your career, and that was a big sort of shift in your life. And you know, if you talk about change, there's not much bigger changes when you face those sort of moments. And 
and yet it you know it hasn't changed you at all as a person because the person you are you seem to you seem to sail through most challenges I, again it goes back to i'm not done yet i i you know i have these light bulb moments at work all the time right we're going to do this we're going to do that I'm, I'm nicknamed the tasmanian devil at work because i just come in as a whirlwind but you know i, I really do believe time is life is too short you know if you can do something and make that tangible difference whether it's a person or at work to yourself why would you not do it you know it, it, and i just think being happy the happiest person you can be is, is a blessing so that's that's what gets me up in the morning and when you get up in the morning and you're not happy what do you do about that i can't imagine not being happy in all honesty so this maybe never happens <laughs> there, are, there are days i am a, i love positive quotes i'm always looking up on my phone to find positive quotes just to keep me upbeat but my coach, bless his cotton socks, who you would have known, Ayo Falola, who, who passed away in 2015, he'd say to me, if I turned up at training, he knew if I was a bit down or whatever. He said, Donna, go and look in that mirror and just laugh at yourself. And it works. It really does work. Just smile, just smile. And I'm like, that sounds a bit odd, but I'll give it a go. And, and it does, it honestly does work. And there's been moments through this last year I've used that technique and it does work. A lot of laughing in front of a lot of mirrors in 2020. <laughs> yes. You can't laugh to, about yourself, then you can't laugh about anything. <laughs> so true. It obviously 2020 was a lot of challenges for a lot of people in a lot of ways, and still living with a lot of you know challenges ahead. But you had a very very good bit of news at the end of 2020, coming into 20. We we found it was public in 2021, but you must have learned of it in 2020, and that was it. You were yet again being honoured. Uh, by the Queen. Yes, I was indeed, which totally knocked me back. I was so surprised by it to, to get informed. I, I even rang the office and said, is this a hoax? I was not sure. <laughs> so to be honoured with an OBE at the end of such a turmoil year was just a blessing. It was great to catapult me into 2021. And although 2021 seems pretty much the same as 2020, I'm very much still holding on to that honour, which I, I'm totally blown away by it, but we'll grab it with both arms. Well, it's well, well deserved. You grab it with as many arms you can hold on to. You don't want to let that one go. You know, it's for work that you've done in equality, diversity and inclusions. So what exactly were you doing in that area that got you this incredible reward? So I was employed by UKA four years ago now. So the two main things I was employed to do was to embed our core values into the organisation. So all around culture change, and also aim to get the equality standard in sport, which you're fully aware of, the advanced level, which I know you are. Uh, we were, we're currently at the intermediate aiming for the advanced level. And um, it was just such a journey because this was the first, well, this, we were, the, I think, the first organisation to hire someone specifically to work on ED&I. And for me, that was a big step. So there was so many pluses to that. The fact that I could grab this role and make it my own, but first and foremost, I had to bring people with me. So going back to that point is I'm no longer just Donna the athlete. Of course, I'll embrace that. But also, this is a journey that we need to go on together, which is so key. It's not just me coming in as the ED&I police to do this piece of work. We have to work together. So building those relationships, it took me a good year and a half to two years to work on that, to help the organisation change their culture, how they behave. We've still got a long way to go. By no means, we're nowhere near that. 
But um, I try different ways to engage people. It's not just, okay, here's a policy. We'll have more get-togethers. I have these mad titles that I come up with to get people in the room, as it were, to, to have those fundamental conversations. How are they feeling? Being honest, because until we know, we can't make those changes. So as you know, mental health is a huge area. We've done a huge amount around LGBT plus, and now we're looking at race because that's a huge conversation at the moment after last year's incident. Um, so yeah, we're doing a lot of work, but it's just rolling. It, it doesn't end. It is a journey. And now we've got new leadership in place and they're so bought into this agenda, which is fantastic. So I'm quite pleased that I'm in a role that people are now next to me as opposed to me dragging them, kicking and screaming. <laughs> Does that leave you in a place of real optimism looking forward? Because like you said, I mean, across not just your sport, across all sport, we all have to accept that things need to change and really dramatically change for the better. Do you feel partly because of the sort of movement that happened last year and the reaction and the, the conversations, as you say, that have come out of that? Do you feel now we're in potentially the best place we've ever been? Do you think there's a risk that it's come and gone? And, you know, we, where are you feeling at the moment? There's a bit of both. Um, and to be fair, we were already doing this kind of work, but we had a plan. It was a long term plan. We just had to get people on board and then move together. So that was already the case in terms of ED and I. But there is a danger that it, it could become that one stop shop. And I'm not all about that. You know, it has to be continuous and sustainable. And I'm that person that is driving that. And I'd like to see more NGBs who have a designated person to drive this agenda. It's not HR's responsibility. It's everyone's responsibility. So it's, it's creating that environment that everyone feels comfortable being uncomfortable. Uh, and it is the right time. Absolutely, it so is. But we just need to keep driving and talking about it, creating those spaces where people can be open and honest. Because without that, we can't make that change. It's just superficial and not authentic. It's got to be right for the organisation. There's no one size fits all. It's just got to be right for, for the sport as a whole, generally, but the individual sports as well. I know I know you will not rest until the work is done. Huge applause to you and, and doing incredible work in this area. I know you'll also you know, work with other people if, if they want help and advice. I know you'll always be there for others to, to help get this right. Um, I'm just thinking now of Fab Fourth with Freeman. We're going, you've got all the medals you, you know you want from all the different championships you've been to. You've got a couple of gongs from the Queen now, you know, nestling in your pocket. You know, you've still got work to do in this area and, and with athletics, but do you have an idea, a longer term plan for life? Do you know what the next challenge for Donna Fraser might be? Or do you are you just waiting to see how it unfolds? The next challenge, oh, the next challenge is be the better person I was yesterday. Um, that's number one. But for the future, I mean, I'd love to retire by the time I'm 50, but I don't think that's going to be possible. I've already got my dream house in the Caribbean, feet up, already sorted. But that's that might be a bit ambitious. Um, where I see myself, definitely I'd love to stay in sport. I think that's where my heart absolutely lies. And um, and you will know, I'm all about sharing and collaboration. And yes, fine, I'm working with UK Athletics, but where I can share best practice or good practice, should I say, and what we've done, lessons learned, then I'm happy to do that. Is whoever wants me, um, you know, put the offer on the table, Catherine, I'll be there. No, it, it, on a serious note. Who knows? The world's my oyster and I, I just want to keep making a difference. That That's my focus. What do you think it is? If you can try and sum it up, 
why is it you would want to stay in sport? What is it about sport that is so special that you just would never want to leave it? It's, it's in my blood. Um, you know, I, I race people I don't even know to, to the station or to the next lamppost. It's in me. It's, it's ridiculous. I can't change that. Sport brings so many things to an individual. It's not just about fitness. It's about lifestyle choices. It's about that mental state. It's about that feel-good factor. All those endorphins, bringing people together. I know for a fact, if I hadn't started athletics at the younger age of eight years old, I wouldn't be the person I am today. The confidence it's brought me, the friendships it's brought me. I've seen the world, for goodness sake. I mean, you can't beat it. You really can't. And it's just it this is probably where I get all the energy from because I'm just always on it right what's the next thing but it helps you focus absolutely and setting those goals which is what I said earlier around those transferable goals as a, a an elite athlete or any athlete you know a young person in in the club is thinking okay I've got to fit my homework in in order to go to the athletics club or a sports club whatever again it's just those life life choices that you make that make a fundamental difference long term when you're much older Donna, it's always a pleasure. I could talk to you all day and all night. Oh, but me too. Congratulations for all that you've done and all that you continue to do and all that you will do. And if and when you finally get that socially distanced trip to the palace this year, please enjoy it. You deserve every second. Bless you. Thank you so much, Catherine. Lovely to see you. It's always a real pleasure to chat to Donna and feel her enthusiasm for her career, her sport and for life generally. And it's wonderful to see her still picking up more medals and awards even after her competitive career. So a huge thanks to both of my guests, Charlotte Henshaw and Donna Fraser, for reminding us about the power of following passions and embracing change. I'm Catherine Granger. This is Medals and More. Download and subscribe and you won't miss a moment. Music.